0: Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get
1: your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith.
2: Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. There are a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get into the
3: game. <laughs> With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? i no. geek. Uh, I'm like. geek. Only on the v Podcast
2: Network.
4: What's up, folks? Welcome in. It's another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. You know that. You clicked on it. You downloaded You listen, Write, rate, review, subscribe, to all those things. A good episode on tap. Later in the show, we're going to bring in uh, Tamer Azarli, who covers the Los Angeles Clippers for clutch points. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the Clippers, of course, with Tamer and uh, what we have seen from them in terms of these comebacks. Uh, not, you know, coming back from 35 points down is obviously a surprise, but if you know the way this team has been playing since about last season, comebacks and uh, just, we'll call it, determination are not exactly surprising although this is coming from a Clippers fan so you'll hear it from Tamir yourself but not only that Tamir's got some really great insight on Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, the future for the Clippers this season and whether or not we're going to see those two back in the Clippers uniform this year and ultimately maybe then providing some value on the Los Angeles Clippers to win an NBA title on the futures market. So with that we're going to get to him momentarily. I do want to discuss some of the bigger stories in the NBA and at the front and center, I think, uh, of one of the more interesting topics right now is going to be the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls who burned me um, <laughs> and many other people earlier this week uh, with the failed cover against the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, leading by as many as 28 points in the third quarter, blowing that and ultimately losing by a, an allowed bucket to Mike Moscala because they were up by four with a second left. Screw the Oklahoma City Thunder for calling a timeout and trying to hit a three for no reason whatsoever. But regardless... Chicago Bulls, really fascinating because, and it's actually not great news, right? At least for those who have Chicago Bulls. Futures tickets, who are Chicago Bulls supporters. Well, it's the fact that this team, <clears throat> danger might be a strong term, right? In terms of being, like, in danger of missing the postseason. Because at this point right now, when you're as high in the standings as they are, and as of this point right now, and we're recording this on early Friday morning, uh, we're talking about them... What are we looking at here? Second in the Eastern Conference, 30-17 and before uh, their contest against the Spurs earlier today. But the the, the reason why this is a topic and why this is worth bringing up is because the loss of Alex Caruso, the loss of Lonzo Ball in terms of their injuries, it is massive as we move forward because those were the two best defensive players that the Chicago Bulls had, right? And there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And when you look at some of the numbers for this team – when you're talking about the defensive output uh, now as we move forward, without both of those guys on the floor, it's going to be pretty touch and go on the defensive end of the floor. In fact, they're going to look like the team that I kind of expected them to right at the beginning of the season. Uh, if, if you remember any of the analysis before the season started, the reason why I had them pegged as kind of like a play-in-ish team was the fact that I didn't think they were going to be a high-level defensive squad. Well, now that you're not going to have Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball out there, it's going to be pretty astonishing to see the drop off on the defensive end of the floor. But just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, and they're going to come back at some point, but how they handled the games without them is the fascinating part. But if you take Caruso off the floor, defensive rating a 113.6 for the Chicago Bulls, he's been incredible in terms of what he's provided for them on the defensive end. To give you an idea, 113.6 with him off the floor. When he is on the floor, we're talking about a defensive rating of 105.4. Uh, that is ridiculous, right? That's an eight-point difference in terms of defensive rating with and without Alex Caruso out there on the floor. They forced turnovers at an extremely high rate when Caruso was out there, 16.6%. And, of course, in terms of all the other things, like when you're talking about uh, opposing free throw rate, all they all improved dramatically with him out there he's done a great job he's their best on-ball defender it's pretty clear at this point right now and all of their numbers it stands out how good they have been with caruso out there and lonzo ball too right lonzo ball as we know is a really good on-ball defender their two primary ball stoppers are not going to be out there anymore and that's a really big problem for the chicago bulls and what this means big picture right and by the way uh, 105.4 defensive rating with lonzo and alice caruso out there so it gives you an idea and plus 9.2 per 100 possessions Uh, they've been absolutely nuts Uh, in terms of having both of those guys available and ready to go. Now, when you're talking about the Bulls without both of those guys on the floor, right? Because 113, without Alex Caruso defensively, without both of them defensively, 117.6 defensive rating. Absolutely atrocious. Those lineups would qualify for the 8th percentile of qualified lineups in the NBA. So, why this matters, obviously, because defensively, they're going to take a step back. But just what it means in terms of the standings going forward is going to be something to monitor now as we talk about a potential slip down the standings for the Chicago Bulls. Because if you look at the standings in the Eastern Conference overall, just four games separate the Chicago Bulls from the Charlotte Hornets right now. Charlotte's bring that up because Charlotte is the seventh seed, so that would put them in territory to, of course, have to force their way into a play-in scenario. Only one and a half games separate Chicago from the Milwaukee Bucks, who are the sixth seed, right? So one through six are all just this mishmash of teams, right? The sixth seed Milwaukee Bucks are two games behind the Miami Heat for the top seed in the Eastern Conference, and that's all that separates the top six teams in the East. So a plummet, it wouldn't even be a plummet, down to the sixth seed is is not in any way surprising if that's going to be the case for the Chicago Bulls, Right. So then you're just talking about making up a two and a half game deficit once you get there, if that's still the case for the Charlotte Hornets, who continue to win games and operate at a high level now 27 and 22, well on their way to surpassing their win total. So now you're talking about flirting with a play-in berth if you're the Chicago Bulls. And that's where you get into kind of the trouble there with Chicago. Now, it, it that works in their favor is the fact that the play-in race right now in the Eastern Conference is an absolute mess, right? The best team at this point in the play-in race, would be the Charlotte Hornets. My assumption would be that if the Chicago Bulls are going to fall into the play-in race, it would be the Charlotte Hornets who make it out of the play-in race. So then you're talking about Boston, Toronto, Washington, the Knicks, Hawks, right? Those are all three teams, the Wizards, Knicks, and Hawks that are within a half game of each other, uh, hovering around that 23 and 25 or 23 and 26 mark. So those would be the teams that you would face. Theoretically, Chicago would be the best team of that mix. Now, if you fall in somehow, like let's say the Raptors claw their way out of the play in tournament, and you're talking about a play in tournament that involves Chicago, Charlotte, Boston, and Atlanta, for example, now that's a lot tougher if you're talking about that those mix of teams competing for a play in berth in the Eastern Conference. A lot of similarly leveled teams, similarly power rated teams, all competing for two spots in the Eastern Conference postseason. So right now, I'm just gonna say, like, monitor this for a minute. But you can find the Chicago Bulls at about 12-1 to 1 to miss the postseason. And you can float around and you can shop and maybe get a little bit of a better price. If, if there was a little bit of a better price on something like that, I would think it's worth looking at. Again, because you're not talking about falling out of the eighth seed entirely, all of those things, because they're going to make it into at the very least a play-in berth. But if you're talking about the threat of falling into a play-in situation where all of a sudden the teams around them are similarly rated and it's not going to be a walk in the park and it's going to be one of it might be a slog, right, in terms of – like, think about it. If you're taking on – if it's Chicago and Atlanta, even if – and, by the way, now they're up to 13-1. to one, Even if Chicago's full strength by the time you get to a play-in situation, right? Well, if Atlanta's at full strength because now they're finally healthy again, it's it's not exactly a walkover, right, against the Atlanta Hawks. And, again, anyone of Boston, Charlotte, Toronto would potentially be waiting for you if you lose that game – in a second play-in situation, assuming you're 7 or 8, I'm just saying that right now the yes on them to make the playoffs is minus 3,500, right? And th- these are courtesy, uh, to let you know, of DraftKings Sportsbook. So 3,500 on an applied probability of 97.2%. I will just say I don't know if 97.2% is exactly accurate for the Chicago Bulls' chances and making it into the postseason. So it's going to be something to monitor. They take on the San Antonio Spurs later today. Again, it's Friday, early in the morning. Not early in the morning. And watching this team from a totals perspective is going to be pretty fascinating, too, because if you throw some of these lineups out there and the potential that they have, right? Like, for example, uh, if you're putting a lineup of Kobe White, Zach Levine, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Javante Green, and Nick Vucevic out there, that's a plus actually 15.1 in defensive rating, or excuse me, an offensive rating of 123.1. There's going to be some pretty high-level offensive lineups out there for the Chicago Bulls. It's just that their defense, I think, is going to be pretty bad. So looking at this team in terms of playing their games over the total as we move forward as well with this new-look lineup, that's going to be something to monitor too. Right now in the season, they're already kind of an over team, but you're talking about nearly break-even at 24-21-2. and Let's see if now that we've had these two guys out of the lineup, if they start to play to these overs a little bit more because they went through this stretch in January. Uh, We were talking about that Detroit game. On the 11th of January, uh, all the way through, not all the way through, but through the 19th, taking on Cleveland. Uh, of those games, five of them went over the total. The other was a push. So, uh, this is, I think, maybe a trend to look toward. This defense is going to get bad. This offense is going to continue to be dynamic. And just don't sneeze at the possibility of this team making a play in. If you can find a birth, like a, a play in birth prop out there, that'd be something worth looking at as well. But the slide down the standings to six isn't that far. And then from there, there's not that much separating them and the seventh seed, which is right now the Charlotte Hornets. And two, because I was talking with Mitch Moss about this, I don't think you're in danger of missing the uh, missing out on the win total. Because right now, you know, Mitch was I, I was I texted him and he was like, yeah you don't think they're going to miss out on the win total, are you?" I don't think that would be the case. That's a tumultuous slide when you're talking about right now having 30 wins and a win total of about 42 and a half to. To not get 12 wins over the course of the rest of the season would be pretty bad. Or 13 wins over the course of the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to get that bad. But I think it was ESPN's projections, like the BPI projections or whatever it is, um, they brought this up. They talked about the fact that uh, or if you look at some of their BPI projections, the most common outcome is the Chicago Bulls finishing with the 7th seed in the Eastern Conference. So something to monitor as you move forward there and maybe some value on betting the Chicago Bulls to miss the playoffs at around 13, 14 to one. Uh, also, wanted to bring this up and wrote about this today, something to monitor in terms of trends in betting and betting and new look teams. So the Indiana Pacers, uh, I think this has been, uh, they've actually kind of been a pretty fun watch, like for those who just like back and forth and you know high scoring affairs when it comes to uh, basketball. So the Indiana Pacers now have this new look lineup, right? Because Miles Turner's been out, Malcolm Brogdon's been out, DeMontis Bonas has been out since last Wednesday. And so they've been forced to roll out a different looking starting lineup lately. And the thing is, this starting lineup, which involves um, Chris Duarte, who they want to give more minutes to, right? Because he's their young rookie and maybe a cornerstone to build around. But you're talking about um, a lineup that is Chris Duarte, and I'm going to name four, right, because there's five, obviously, that start. But uh, these core four have been on the floor together um, when we're talking about this lineup that I want to bring up right now. But it's Chris Duarte, Goga Patadze, uh, Torrey Craig, and uh, uh, Justin Holiday, right? So those four have made up the, the starting lineup, and then you plug in a different guard because Garris LeVert has been a little bit in and out of the lineup lately. Uh, so not him, Dwayne Washington uh, has been in there. for Sykes has been there as well. But with those core four on the floor... Again, Duarte, Batadze, Craig, and Holiday for the Indiana Pacers. Pacers are putting up 121.3 points per 100 possessions, but giving up 127.7. So this has been high scoring just ridiculous affairs that we have seen from this team and it's a good shooting lineup as well those four out there they shoot 44.4 percent from the floor the indiana pacers do they got a good rim presence too at 69.2 percent in terms of frequency of attempts they don't shoot a lot of threes they actually shoot quite a bit in terms of mid-range from the mid-range area of the floor but uh, they're good in terms of efficiency both at the rim and from beyond the arc sneaky efficient transition as well especially off of live rebounds they don't push it a lot but when they do Offensive rating of 133.3 off of live rebounds. and It's just watch out for Indiana. So today on Friday, I played the game against Oklahoma City over the total. Over 217.5, it's up to 220. So the market kind of, um, at least in lockstep with me, on the thinking that that's a somewhat low total. But this has been a difference for Indiana in terms of watching them and, and watching the way that they have played. So just a trend to look at in terms of playing these Indiana games over the total with this new lineup as long as it's intact and as long as Miles Turner and... Malcolm Brogdon on out there because even if Devonta Sabonis uh, potentially comes back, Sabonis, of course, is working his way back from an ankle injury. He got injured in the Los Angeles Lakers game last week that they ended up coming back in the fourth quarter of. Um, Devonta Sabonis, in terms of affecting this outcome, uh, that's going to be interesting because from a defensive standpoint, he's actually been a really big positive for this team um, throughout his career and this season in terms of the changes when he is on the court from off the court um he's been a really big piece for them he improves their defensive rating by 10.2 points every 100 possessions they give up 109.3 when he's out there so Sabonis coming back could potentially ruin it a little bit because he's a little bit of a better defender to plug into this lineup overall but this has been an effective offensive lineup and a really poor defensive lineup and it's led to some high scoring affairs hell the other night um Charlotte dropped 158 points on him but Indiana came back with 126 game win over the total it was 228 and a half right uh the Pelicans game a 117-113 final, that game goes over the total. They play Golden State and drop 121 and win 121-117. to The Los Angeles Clippers game, it was a 139-133 to uh, matchup too. So as we have started to see that this lineup has gotten more starts, Right again, those core four, we have started to see these games go over the total for the Indiana Pacers, and it's been something worth playing over the last couple of weeks. So, hey, who knows? I mean, at the trade deadline, Sabonis has been a name that's been thrown out there a lot this could be the lineup moving forward for the Indiana Pacers. If Sabonis is traded away, and same thing with Turner, if Turner never comes back. So Brogdon could ruin it too because he's a good defender. But if Sabonis is gone and Turner is gone, this is probably going to be your new look Pacers. And I think playing these games over the total as we move forward with Indiana is definitely going to be something worth tracking on. Uh, okay, before we get to uh, our guest today, one last note overall, because uh, I, would, I would be a fool not to mention the movement that has started. This week, in terms of Jaron Jackson Jr., winning defensive player of the year. Um, For those who don't know, which I would assume that mostly everybody who's listening to this podcast understands what this is. But this has been absolutely incredible. So two weeks ago, uh, if you guys remember, we had uh, Drew Hill on right to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. And in doing some research on the Memphis Grizzlies kind of came across it like, wow, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before I wrote about it, the defensive turnaround for the Memphis Grizzlies and how good it's been and the changes and all that, right? And then you you kind of looked into it a little bit more and you realize like, wow, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a really big part of this turnaround. Like how good he's been defensively, how good he's been in shot blocking. And then it kind of got me thinking. And you look at the defensive player of the year board and you, you realize that, you know, yeah, Draymond Green's up there, obviously, Rudy Gobert's up there, Giannis Antetokounmpo, But you put their metrics side-by-side, and I did this the other day on social media. It was probably about a week ago. And you realize, like, you know, Jackson's got a comparable resume to Draymond Green and Rudy Gobert. And, you know, you look at, like, for example, this is where I started to get into it. So Boyd, Boyd Gaming out here, had him at 490-1 to to win Defensive Player of the Year. So I text Mitch. Mitch and I text about these all the time. Uh, I'm going to try to get Mitch on the podcast next week. Um, I text Mitch and I go, hey, you know, have you you seen this? Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, give him a little bit of a spiel, 490 to 1. He's like, you know, somebody texted me about this uh, just today. And um, it's a weird coincidence that you asked me about it. I go, yeah, I'm like, they're at Boyd. He's at Boyd. He's at 490 to 1. And this is on my way into the edge that day. And so I'm like, all right, well, when I get done with the show, I'm going to run over the Suncoast really quickly out here in Vegas. That's a Boyd casino. And I'm going to bet that's by where I live. I get out of the edge that day. And of course, just that day, they decide, ah, you know what? Let's take the 490 to one long shots off the board. So boom, gone, Jaron Jackson Jr. So I can't bet him. So ultimately, I get down at 300 to one. I get down to 300 to one. Um, and that's the that's the price that I can find, right? So this, I sit on this for like a week and you know, I brought it up here and there. I probably should be pushing it out a little bit more. And then Mitch, of course, because he's a thousand times more famous than I am and his show is a much bigger platform, brings this up and boom, just catches like wildfire, right? And what happened on like Wednesday night was absolutely incredible because you could clearly tell that there's a lot of support and at a long shot like that, if you take like five, 10, 15, 15 bets on like a $20 at 300 to one or 150 to one, that liability adds up pretty quickly. So books are going to take notice and they're going to start to shift things around and sure enough that Wednesday DraftKings starts the day at 150 to 1 gets down to about 65 to 1 Boyd puts him back up right among all of the the demands and the talk around him to win the award they put him back up at about 65 to 1 as well win win is the one lagger which I should have this is the one I'm hitting myself because I should have checked that a win bet had him at 500 to 1 that day throughout the day before they took some action on him well lo and behold this thing moves and moves and moves by the end of the day on wednesday at 65 to one win goes as high as eight to one and uh, as i look at it right now consensus price on jaron jackson jr 30 to one or lower to win defensive player of the year so like this movement's been great it has been hilarious to watch it has been fun to track every single one of you who are listening to this and got in on it it was absolutely fantastic of you to do so Uh, but we are all we're all hand in hand cheering for jaron jackson jr to a defensive player of the year, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be freaking awesome, man! All right, so uh, with that, again, just keep the, keep an eye on those things. Bulls potentially to miss the playoffs. Indiana Pacers overs so and what we're gonna do here, uh, what they're gonna be playing like as you move forward and as those lineups are continuing to roll out. Oh, and one more thing, this is gonna be something I want to monitor. Starting, I should have started this earlier, but the Knicks right now 25th in net rating in the first quarter. This is this starting lineup that Thibodeau keeps knocking his head over starting over and over and over again has been absolutely horrendous. And the Bucks today are two and a half point favorites in the first quarter. If Thibodeau doesn't make an adjustment, he starts the same five um, in terms of let me pull this up for you. So I get it exactly for you at this point right now, uh, but it's Kimball Walker, Evan Fournier, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. It's a lineup that has the sixth most possessions played, but is in the 12th percentile of net rating. Um, if that's going to continue to happen, playing against the Knicks in the four, the first quarter, especially in a situation like this where the Bucks are coming off of poor performance and they sucked against the Cleveland Cavaliers, it seems like it would be uh, beneficial to be playing frequently against the New York Knicks in the first quarter of games.
5: When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep tight stories. Listen to sleep tight stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you
6: get your podcasts. Parents. If you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums, but I've created a solution. The perfect kids' podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations... Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app,
4: Uh, Tamera's Arley is with us. Uh, you can follow him up on Twitter, Tamera's Arley, T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y, Clippers beat writer and content social for Clutch Points. So, Tomer, I appreciate the time. Uh, first off, obviously the Clippers have been the talk of the town in the NBA world because of what they've been pulling off here the last uh, month or so. Uh, what I don't even know, like, what's your takeaway from the, these ridiculous comebacks that they've pulled off, especially these last three because they're just so close together.
3: Yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate um, you allowing me to, you know, share some of my Clippers' insight as well. Um, yeah, I, it's 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 very strange because I think uh, when you look at the Denver come back the first game at home, uh, they scored 28 points in that first half, and that was just a brutal first step. I mean, I needed a copy at halftime because I was just, I was, I was a mess. I was not going to stay awake for that entire game. Uh, if, if they were on pace for about 56 points, so. Uh, And they were able to come back. They they had a big second half in that game. And you're like, all right, you know what? Sometimes a short-handed Denver team, they might take their foot off the pedal. Makes sense. Sometimes it could happen. Um, We saw them do it a few times last year against Atlanta. They were down, I believe, 25, I want to say, at home, Uh, shorthanded without Kawhi and PG. Um, And they – sorry, no, Kawhi and PG did play, but they were just playing – they weren't playing well. Uh, Terrence Mann and Luke and I led that comeback. Um, And then if you fast-forward to to this year – um, you know, they had that the big road trip. Uh, I, I thought, um, you know, th- they opened up with a loss to Denver. An eight-game road trip with a loss to Denver it was an overtime. They played fantastic basketball that game. Zuh- Evisa Zubat had a career-high 32 points. Uh, Reggie Jackson had uh, 28, I believe. And it was just a, a tough game to lose because they, they played so well. And it kind of just felt like Nicole Jokic shot more free throws than the entire team, and that's kind of why they lost. And so when you look at that, it kind of can, like, that can either, like, a positive loss can set your road trip back and be like oh, a deflating loss and kind of you know set the tone for it or it can be just like oh you know what we we played this well we know how we got to play we just ride this wave and that appears to be what happened the latter where they kind of just rode that wave and uh the next game was against philly against joel Embiid who has dominated them he was six and oh against them in his entire career and um you know still had 40 points still dominated them but Again, uh, just a team that will not give up no matter how many points they're down. I mean, they were down 24 in that game. Uh, a pretty, you know, rowdy crowd there cheering on a Sixers team that was about to win, and they came back and won that game. Um, and then you fast forward to Washington, and I was—I mean, I did not think they were going to win that game. Just, just nope. to be you know, perfectly honest. I mean, they're down 31 to 66 with about a minute left, and they didn't have the ball either in the first half, so it was 31 66. And they could have been down 30, 38, maybe, if Wizards hit a three. And uh, they just kept chipping away. They kept pushing. And, and, you know, they cut that lead down to 17 entering the fourth quarter. Um, and still, I'm like, all right, they're not going to make up 17 points in the entire quarter. Like, that's insane to do after making up another 18, like, a quarter a quarter ago. So, um, but, again, they just keep fighting. They, they just keep making it work. Uh, credit to Washington for collapsing in a way that only they, you know, only they could kind of everything that needed to happen happened. And, um, you know, they, they just keep fighting. So I, I'm at a point where I literally told a couple of buddies of mine, I'm like, I just cannot rule this team out because, you, I mean, 35, 25, and 24 in a span of 15 days nope. is, is absurd. It's absurd. So, like, I, you just can't rule this team out of any game anymore.
4: It's it's kind of like this team, though, as a whole, right? Like, this is kind of the identity they've taken on. You brought up the comebacks last year. We all remember the Western Conference uh, semifinals, right, against the Utah Jazz and that comeback they had yeah. uh, at home against them, led by Terrence Mann. And I think it's it's kind of like this team, too, because if you look at them, and you realize, like, they're 25 and 25. But like you know, Marcus Morris has recently now been out of the lineup and he wasn't there at the beginning of the year. They lose Paul George, all the COVID issues and injury issues they've had. And yet they consistently fight. And right now are the seventh seed. It's nothing to sneeze at. But I think given the personnel issues this team has had, like it's kind of just what this team has been on a game to game basis. But just all season long, they've just kind of been fighters like they just they're not going anywhere. And it's actually a really good thing to see.
3: Yeah, I mean, of, of all the, you know, Eric Bledsoe, the only player to have played all 50 games yeah. um, for them this season. Uh, you, you look at Nick Batum, he's missed 20. Uh, you look at Paul George, he's missed 24. Um, you look at Marcus Morris, I think he missed uh, what's he? Yeah, he's also missed 24. So like they had so many guys in the lineup. That's not even including their um, their COVID issues that they had uh, in in December and early January. Like they were missing a lot of key guys. Vito Zubats, uh, his Iron Man streak of 205 games came to an end. Uh, Luke Kennard, who was was a big part of their kind of kind of offense you know just just the gravity he has and kind of bringing him off ball screens that was missing for about 15 days he was in COVID protocols for a while so um Ty Lewis joked with us a few times and said give me a rotation for like four games and I can kind of figure it out he hasn't had a rotation for like more than three consecutive games it's just been in and out nonstop. Uh I think they have the most games missed um you know in terms of players uh, overall so it's just been a mess but uh, again, a, a team that you know when when they needed the most, Luke and Art has stepped up when he needed to. Um, Amir Coffey has been fantastic over the last couple of weeks. Uh, some a, a guy who um, honestly has, has been a, a bit of a work in progress. I remember when when they brought him to summer league a few years back, and I was like, okay, like you could see the the length and, and the potential with this guy, but you kind of never know if those kind of if those guys ever get to a potential where they can actually play significant minutes on a team. Um, you saw it, but you just didn't know if it would get there, especially with Kawhi and PG when you're so veteran focused, you know, trying to win a championship. And then um, they've just been able to step, step up and and do it time and time again. I think, um, you know, Ty Lue is definitely a a big, a big, big reason for that. Um, He's just got this adaptability and this, this never quit mentality personality that uh, I think the team has really embodied over the last couple of years. Uh, He's only been here a year and a half not even two full years, and they've had uh, the only team to come back from two, uh, back-to-back 0-2 deficits in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they almost did against the Suns as well. Like, that that was a very, very tight series. I mean, he himself is, is you know, the 3-1 comeback everyone knows about. Um, and then the last 15 days, he had three 25, 24-point comebacks. So, like, th- this guy's team just embodies him and his kind of never-quit mentality. And I think you really see it. They kind of have the right guys and uh, the right guys' personalities. Um and, and just fit to make that happen, uh, I, I think the biggest thing that people kind of forget sometimes is that these are these are supposed to be complementary players around Kawhi and PG. Like yep. these are the guys supposed to lead them around Kawhi and PG. Like, and they've all been asked to do way more. Uh, you know they're asked to be you know. One A, one B kind of scores with Reggie and Marcus when they're probably better off as two B or or three B kind of scores, you know. So, like for them to be twenty five and twenty five, you know, Tyloo was told this the other day. He was he asked if you have Marcus Zoo, uh, Marcus uh, Nico, Kawhi and PG play four combined minutes in the first fifty games. What would you what would you say? He goes, I take it. like I take that considering all we've had. I'll take that. So um, that's kind of where they're at right now.
4: All right, so let's talk about some some of the impressive things about this team because you know outside of the comebacks, statistically, what this team has been able to do defensively all season long has been wildly impressive. According to Cleaning the Glass, right now they're eighth in defensive efficiency and non-garbage time minutes at one hundred eight point six. Uh, they've been consistently in the top. And yeah, there was like that I think it was like two weeks ago, uh, right around that Pacers game. Right, where they had a little bit of a slide defensively, but you can only expect so much on a game to game basis. Right. So, so what what is what has been the philosophy here defensively for this team? Because this has been consistent; it has been extremely good. And when you watch them play, like there is, there is no doubt that on the night-to-night basis, we'll get to the offense. But on, from a defensive standpoint, you're going to get a top-tier performance each night.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest things about this team is they're they're a low. I think they're one of the lowest foul rate teams in the league. They, they don't they don't let their opponents shoot a lot of free throws. I think they were they were. First in the league for a long time. I don't know if that's still first because they did let it be go off for a bit and Jokic go off for a bit. Cleaning the glass has um,
4: got him at uh, third right now in free throw rates. So 16.2 opponent free throws made every hundred possessions. Yeah.
3: So, so they're right up there with the best of the league. And I think that's just been the key. To, I think the key to their, their defense is not putting opponents on the lines, not giving them free points, not stopping the clock. Um, I think what's been impressive to me is that. Uh, especially early on in the season, their defense did not waver, even though their offense was sp- struggling pretty mightily at times. Like I went up to Reggie Jackson after a game and I was like, I think this is about 15 games in. And I was like, "Yo, you guys don't have like Marcus, like Nico's been out, Kawhi's been out. Like, are you surprised at how good you've been defensively? He's like, honestly, I can see why you'd be surprised because we're missing a lot of big name guys. But we just have the effort. Like we just we are so locked in, and we're so communicative, and we're just we're just locked in on on even though we're not clicking offensively. Like we really, really, really are trying defensively, and I think that's just that's what it comes down to for them. It's, it's effort. Um, you, you can never question that team's effort. You know, Ty Lewis talked about that a lot. Um, talent disparity, maybe you'll see it there, of course, but. Uh, that team's effort, you'll never see. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about the Brooklyn game. Where they they were trailing that game by about 15, I think, yep. in Brooklyn. Uh, without, I think, Batum, Morris didn't play that game. So, like, they had a lot of guys out of that game, and they came back as well against KD and James Harden. So, uh, this team just, just has a, a a defensive mindset that, that I, I honestly have been surprised to see, but it's been pleas- pleasantly surprised because, um, like I said, like, if their offense isn't clicking, they are absolutely committed to getting back defensively. They've had a few lulls here and there, but, again, that's expected over an 82-game season, uh, like you said, the Pacers game. Uh, I guess the, the positive of that is that they did put up 139 points. So, <laughs> yep. uh, Tyler was like, you know what, I'll take the offense because we kind of got a good offensive game. But, um, you know, I wasn't happy with the defense, and I think it showed as it kind of cleaned it up on this road trip. So, um, again, the biggest thing for me is, like, they're not, they're not usually having, like, shutdown games, but they're having – really really good stretches where they're able to they're they're coming back from 35 from 24 for a reason because they're having really great defensive stretches so like while it might not show like you know points for game wise which is a a bad side to look at honestly but um they are having great defensive stretches that are allowing them to take leads and come back in games and all that so um just a team that won't quit won't quit really determined to play for one another uh based on all all the you know press conferences and interviews I've done. They're really committed to playing for one another and they like playing with one another. I think they don't, they don't want to let each other down. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to. You
4: know, and and to speak to how good they've been defensively as well, right? It's, it's impressive to have a net rating of only negative one. when you have, uh, I think right now they're like 25th, 26th, an offensive rating for the season. Like it speaks to how good they've been on the defensive end of the floor. So, Let's talk about that, because is it just as simple as, like you mentioned it, these are a lot of role players, these are tertiary pieces for the most part that are supposed to play along and outside of the guys who are meant to be the main shot creators, you know, not a lot of north-south presence right They're twenty 28th in terms of frequency of shots within four feet of the basket, Uh, they themselves. Uh, it's surprising, actually, it, it, there was a stretch where they were drawing some free throws, but still right now 24th in their own free throw rate offensively. Is it that simple that this offensive is just – this offensive, I don't want to call it a slump now, these issues are going to continue because they just don't have that guy to create and attack consistently within four feet of the basket? Uh,
3: I, I think it's fair to say that, yeah. I mean, right now I think they're tied with Houston for the 26th worst. Yeah, so like mm-hmm. – they're or they're just – yeah, 27th. So like they, they've been pretty – they, they've had struggles, again, because these are, these are not supposed to be, you know, 1A, 1B guys. These are all complementary guys around PG and Kawhi. Like, I think when you plug PG and Kawhi into this team, this is a title contending team when healthy. Um, but it's just that, you know, Eric Bledsoe has been one, one of the best guys to get into the rim. Um, you know, he, he's been that guy the last couple of years. I think he had a bit of a down year last year in New Orleans. But, um, like, we saw what he was in Milwaukee. We saw what he was in Phoenix. Like, he was great at driving to the rim. I think he was, like, top five or top six in the league. Uh, in drives per game, so like, um, you know, he's the guy who's been really, really good for this team. Uh, just, just putting some some kind of pressure um, on the rim. I remember asking Ty uh, before they went on this road trip. I was like, you know, the starters kind of don't get to the paint as much. They don't, they don't put as much pressure on the rim. But your second unit with Amir and and and, and Eric kind of kind of do. Uh, like, how do you kind of balance that out? And he's like, well, we don't really have those guys in the starting lineup right now. Um, we just kind of play out of Marcus in the post. Um, Reggie will do what he does. He kind of gets to the, um, you know, mid-range area about 10 feet. He's done it a bit more of late, uh, getting to that little floater range, but um, not enough in my opinion. And I think the biggest thing is that he can, and I think he's realized that, like before he went on the trip, I remember he told us, um, I've been kind of letting defenses off the hook I've uh, been kind of shying away from contact of late, and and it's it's something I'm, I'm I'm noticing, and I'm trying to trying to correct and put more pressure on the defense. And we saw that in the Denver game, the first game of this road trip, where they really attacked Nikola Jokic. He got in the lane, uh, got to the little floater, 8 foot range, and 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 was knocking those down. So, um, yeah, I mean, a negative net rating through 20 through 50 games, and there there are 25 and 25. I think again. You'll kind of take that considering uh, PG's missed twenty four games, Kawhi hasn't played at all. Marcus missed the first month, and now he's missing a few games for personal reasons. So, um, kind of is what it is. But again, like um, these offensive struggles will kind of continue and waver here and here and there. Uh, but if if the Clippers get, I think at least one of their stars back in the next maybe month, um, that would just go a long way towards cleaning so much. I mean, they, they've played really well with the, when at least one of their guys are available. So.
6: Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums, but I've created a solution. The perfect kids' podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations... Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app,
4: So let's talk about that because that's kind of the elephant in the room. And that's what's hanging around this team because, you know, you mentioned it out here in Las Vegas. So at one point, right after Paul George got hurt, they dropped, plummeted over at the Westgate Superbook to 100 to 1 to win an NBA title. And uh, the director over there, Jeff Sherman, who's a friend of mine, texted me. And he knows I'm a Clippers guy. He's like, "Am I going to get you to buy that a hundred to one?" I was like, "I don't, just, I, I don't know if if you told me that second that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were coming back, then hell yeah, hundred to one with both of them back at some point this season. Yeah, that's definitely worth it. So, what, what is? We'll start with Paul George because there's increasing rumblings that maybe this is a little bit more serious, uh, and that maybe this is something that might even keep him out for just the rest of the season. But do you expect that George is going to come back at some point?
3: Um. As of right now, I, I do I do expect PG to come back. Um, I think the expectation on some of the players that'll come back. Um, that being said, you don't usually see um, UCL injuries uh, in basketball players a lot. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's if you follow sports, it's mainly a baseball, mainly a pitcher injury uh, from throwing so much. Um, and I, I remember when it, when it happened, um, you know, he was really struggling to dribble and had some some pain in dribbling and shooting. So uh, they shut him down for a few weeks. Came back um and they conducted the mri where they saw that uh torn ucl so i mean look the way i see it if he if it was fully torn or if it was torn to to a point where he couldn't return this year they would have had the surgery because that's a Mm -hmm. a, you know a long timetable to return so i don't think they would have they would have used the surgery they would have they would have had the surgery unless he absolutely had to so what it tells to me and this is without any like you know medical kind of experience in this on this one in particular but like it's not it, they, they have optimism that he can return. I think they just want to kind of see how his elbow responds to more and more rest, if it's healing at, at a good rate. I mean, maybe he doesn't come back after the All-Star break. Maybe he comes back late March, um, depending on what they see. So I think the players, you know, Nick Batum did, did, did a show, I think, the other day where he kind of said, um, you know, if we can get them back, we, like we're optimistic, if we can get them back within a month of the playoffs. So that's around, what, March 15th? Mm-hmm. About a, a month after the All-Star break. Um, we 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 hope we can get him back by around then, um, for Kawhi and PG. So, um, I I think I think that's fairly optimistic if they if they get him back with a month left. I, I I don't see why that month might not be you know isn't enough time for them to get it together. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the update on PG right now.
4: And Kawhi, I mean, there was the reports right about a month ago. Hey man, way ahead of schedule. I saw a great IG post of him with all the wires out of him doing like one legged squats and you know crap like that. Looked like a cyborg and everything. Um, you know, I think some of the conversations that I've had and the worry that has been for people to start connecting to speculation, which is, uh, you know, like if you reach a point where we're nearing the return, but this team is kind of like wavering and not really in a play in race, like what's the point of coming back essentially, but this team's keeping themselves in it. And, and I think that keeps it alive that Paul Durantini-Kawhi you know, is probably going to come back now.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, going back to, to the contract that he signed, um, the four-year deal with an opt-out for the fourth year. Um, I think that was the most shocking, most surprising option. I think in terms of trying to get more money, he could have done. He could have done the. I think a four-year deal after, or he could. Have, he could have done a one-plus-one, yep. and then and then signed a four-year deal and gotten the max money there. And so he didn't, and that kind of was like, okay, so you're not really focusing on the money here, and um, or the long-term money. And what he, what he said to us on media day was. I'm, I'm trying to come back this year. I, I'm, I'm working hard to come back. Uh, I didn't want money or, or the contract situation to be hanging over I don't want any speculation. Like I want my focus to be on coming back. And that was pretty much the bottom line. And I think, um, you know, even dating back to, um, I want to say September, uh, there were reports that he was ahead of surgery. So like ahead of, ahead of, ahead of his recovery mm-hmm. um, from the ACL surgery. So like, I think by all accounts, he, he, is, he is a little ahead of schedule um I, I don't I don't know exactly when he would come back I think the rumor has been you know post all-star uh maybe like I said a- around mid-March area um kind of give him enough time but um you know the players have been kind of um keeping back from talking about it because they don't want to put any pressure on him to come back this year they said you know take your time if, if you end up missing the year like you missed the year whatever that's fine but um I think the hope is that he does return at some point in March uh, and, and I I don't know how much the Clippers record really matters in this um, because it, I think everyone knew this team was was not going to be as great without uh, Kawhi and they definitely were not gonna be as good without PG so like they're, they're, they're fully in the mix for things right now they're what the seventh seed they're tied for the seventh seed in the west um, only a few games behind Denver for the, uh, the sixth seed and they've got a couple tiebreakers and guys behind them so, like, they are in a really, really good position to make the playoffs right now. I, I really think they will. They'll probably end up a play-in team, depending on when some guys come back. But um, this team should make the playoffs. And I, I, would, I would imagine that if, if, if he's healthy enough, if he feels comfortable enough, and if the team clears him, um, he, Kawhi, Kawhi should return this year, if, if he's healthy enough and both him and his team doctors clear him.
4: And when you get in that situation, you're talking about a play-in scenario that's going to involve potentially, white right, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, Trailblazers, You know, if maybe the Spurs somehow make a push or if the Nuggets fall down. So it's like a – it's a plausible scenario that you're talking about a full-strength Clippers team in a play-in situation against some relatively bad teams. So it seems like the playoffs – man, I would watch it – I would love a play in game between the Lakers and the Clippers, but that's another thing. So uh, as we look at this, you know, let's as a Western conference as a whole too, because you know, the whole thing with you look know, looking at the futures board and trying to find some value, because I've been hovering over, you know, playing this team to win the NBA finals of the Western conference, uh, because, you know, partly I, I do believe that Paul George, you read all the tea leaves that they were going to come back at some point And with enough time that they're going to be, you know, at full strength by the time you get into the post post But the other is, and I get your thoughts on this, like, the Western conference doesn't look impressive, right? Like overall, when you're talking about like the pecking order of things, and if this team is fully healthy, once again, then your biggest threat rightfully so is the Phoenix suns, who I think when they're fully healthy, the Clippers match up very well against them. And you saw that a little bit in the Western conference finals. Then outside of that, right. You get the upstart Grizzlies, but the jazz have been struggling. You get the Mavericks who are terrible offensively. Like this is a wide open Western conference. At least this version of it.
3: Yeah. I, I really don't see anyone outside of maybe golden state and, um, I mean, I guess you have to put Phoenix to the top there because of how well they've been playing. Um, but outside of those guys, I mean, Utah has been a team that after the last postseason, I kind of just need to see it happen yep. um, to believe that they can be actual contenders. Um, Memphis is still young, but they, they're a team that kind of scares me. I feel like um, I think they have, they have a good chance to get to the Western Conference Finals. Um, it's kind of the matchups line and all that, because they're just they're, they're a nightmare matchup for a lot of teams. They can play a bunch of different ways. Um and, and th- that's kind of the scary team to me. Um, you know what you're getting with Golden State, especially when Draymond comes Draymond comes back. Um, I think the Clippers do match up with, with pretty much any team on this in, in the standings pretty well. Um, Denver has been a team that's kind of been a, a pain in the butt uh for them specifically, just because of how Jokic just played. But I think under Tyler, they've kind of found um a, a way to adapt it and, and, and you know, maybe use Nick Batum more, Justice Winslow more. Um like you said, the, this West is wide open. I mean, um, the Portland is eight games under 500 right now, and they're at the 10 seed, and they're a game and a half ahead of New Orleans. Um, so it's 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 really just a very, very balanced West this year. I, I think everyone's had to deal with the injuries and, and the COVID protocols, and that's kind of been, um, you know, Utah finally got hit, and they you saw their drop in the standings. So um, it's pretty much wide open. I, I don't really know. Uh, if, if there is a favorite outside of, like, Phoenix and Golden State, that's strictly out of how, big, how good they've been to start the year. I think match, matchups is, is what it comes down to in the playoffs, though. So, like, mm-hmm. like you said, the Clippers, I believe, one healthy, one fully healthy. Uh, Matchup with the Suns really well. I think they match up with the Warriors very well. They can go small ball just as well with, with both those teams and, and I think um, cause, some, cause some trouble. So, like, I, I, um, I'm curious to see how this shapes out because, really, there's so many possibilities I could see happening uh including the Lakers even making a run uh once they get healthy and kind of figure it out I've just I've just personally never ruled a LeBron James team out just because of how good he is um that that being said this year has been incredibly tough for them so I don't know if they can actually pull it off pull it off this year but I think when healthy it's kind of tough to rule to 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 bet against LeBron and AD um yeah this West is wide open I don't think I've ever seen a Western Conference this wide open with
4: so many teams so Um, yeah. All right. We'll get you out of here in two more uh, really quickly. One, uh, just thoughts on Cause I think so, you know, betting on the awards, there's a lot of things that you can bet on when it comes to some of these things. One of the, one of the markets that's out there. And I think it's a fascinating race this year is coach of the year. What do you think of Tyler's chances? He's 45 to one. I mean, like you have him, you have JB Bickerstaff, at least my personal top three, Eric bolster and Taylor Jenkins, but the way Lou has been getting this team to fight and play and where they're at right now. I mean, he's got to get some consideration.
3: Uh, oh, no, he absolutely will, will get consideration. Um, I think you have to look at Taylor Jenkins and J.B. Vickerstaff as the yep. one and two, in my opinion, um, just because, I mean, Cleveland has been so freaking good. Like, I'm just, I'm amazed. Like, I love watching them just because of how, like, just how versatile and how, and how, how well that team has been playing. So I think, to me, it's probably, like, J.B. Vickerstaff, Taylor Jenkins, and then I put Ty Luthard. Um He's definitely in the conversation, I think, when you look at things as a whole, um, just being where they are right now, considering how many guys they've missed. And I think the way in which they've come back and, from so many games and the way in which Ty has kind of made in-game adjustments, I, I think um, there was a GM survey in the offseason, and, and Ty Lu was voted, like, um, best coach or something, best coach or most adaptable coach or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, just for his in-game adjustments. Uh, he, he's, he's literally just thinking and changing things on the fly as he sees fit. Uh, which is a bit different from their previous coach. Um, so <laughs> that, that's been something that's definitely been welcome. Uh, but I think, yeah, if, if you look at Coach of the Year, he definitely deserves consideration. Um, I could see him winning it, uh, but I, I, I do think that Memphis and, and, and Cleveland's, um, you know, rise over the last couple of months has been, it's going to be hard to ignore when it comes to the Coach of the Year race. So, um, but yeah, Tyler definitely been fantastic. He's, he's been great. He's been amazing.
4: What do you make of their, uh, their spot tonight against Miami? I feel, I feel like situationally it's kind of tough, right? You're talking the sixth game uh, of an eight-game road trip. The, the comebacks, of course, as we have talked about. And, and against a team like Miami, it's, I feel like it is a brutal situation for them just walking into something like this on the road.
3: Um, I mean, Jimmy Butler is still questionable, I believe. I don't think yep. he's playing. Lowry is out. Um, Lowry is the guy who torched him for 22 points in the fourth quarter the last time they played in L.A., um i don't, i don't think jimmy's played them since he's been in miami heat I, I i might be incorrect about that but um yeah i mean look not not ideal um you, you have a lot of guys out i think marcus morris is out again for personal reasons but um i mean if you if you're going to if you're going to bet on any team to win uh, yeah. shorthanded on the road it might it might as well be the clippers i mean the the one thing that does give me trouble is bam adabayo is back and eric spolstra is like top three coach right now behind probably pop and I don't know. He might be top two then uh, right. yeah. to me. So like he's a fantastic coach and the guy who just like Ty is very adjustable, very you know uh, adapting on the fly and 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 is a great coach. So um, I don't know if I picked the Clippers to win today, but I definitely would not be surprised if they win. I mean yeah. this just, just everything this team has done has been shocking and more over the last like months. So uh, I can never I can never rule this team out of a game. I just I just can't. It's been amazing to watch.
4: His name is Tamera Zarley. Again, uh, Clutch Points, you can follow him on Twitter at Tamera Zarley. Man, uh, I appreciate the time. It it was really good to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we get you in again uh, right before the playoffs. The Clippers may be in a play-in or a playoff situation. We can discuss that. No, of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. Again, Tamera Zarley.